Yo, what is going on? And welcome to Can We Talk About This with Murphy Wells. I am him. I'm going to start leaving out the snap. I think the, the snap is, it's, I'm already over it. <laughs> but welcome back to the show if you are a regular listener of the show. And if this is your first time here, well, welcome to you too. Um, I have not recorded for the better part of more than a week at this point. Uh, and I can't lie, guys, I've been super busy. And I hate saying that because I usually treat busy as an excuse. Um, but I've had a lot of other things going on. And I can't lie, it's when it's come down to essentially having a topic that I feel passionately, passionately enough to bring to you guys. I've, I've definitely been lacking there. And I've been focusing a little bit more on work and also kind of content creation for Instagram. I've really been feeling really revitalized there recently. And it's not necessarily because I am coming across like good ideas for reels or anything like that, but it's more because like I'm forcing myself to be creative, which I very much like to let my creativity flow. Honestly, all of my podcasts I've done so far have been without one note taken besides maybe like some of the top five lists. And I wanted to come back today and there was a topic I was going to riff on, and I think that's going to be an ongoing topic to talk about. But I want to give a shout out to my friend Taylor Kern, because a long time ago, not a long time ago, like <laughs> a long time ago in like me time, which moves very, very fast. So a month ago, more or less, uh, he talked to me about wanting to hear an episode on perspective. So predictably right now, today and tomorrow, I'm going to do that. I'm going to give you a two part episode on perspective. And they're going to be from some different perspectives, one solely myself and an account that I will retell to you guys. And then number two, tomorrow, I'm actually going to have a guest on the show. I'm not going to tell you who it is because I'm excited for him. He actually came up to me today and was like, bro, and for you saying this, motherfucker, I swear to God, don't you ever humble brag to me again. But he goes, bro, one day when I'm worthy enough, can I be on the podcast? And I think the world of this guy and... I honestly said, I'm, I'm insulted you haven't been on it yet. So uh, tomorrow I'll be recording my second feature episode with a guest who has a lot of perspective to deal with you of his own or to deal you of his own. But today will be part one of the perspective episodes. I, I haven't even figured out what I'm going to title them yet, but Today's is about me and a friend I grew up with. When I've talked to you guys about my past, I'm not doing that to sound cool. For anyone who's impressionable who's listening, which I don't know how impressionable you are or aren't. I know it's subjective. It's not necessarily all about like age or whatever. But for those who have heard those stories and thought, man, I wish I could have gone through that. No, no, you don't. There's not one day in my life where I look back at that and I think, I, 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 I think, overly positive things. I think I've taken positive things from them and I think I've had a lot of fun, but don't get it twisted. Those times were hard and they were dark and those hard, dark times change people. And the account that I'm going to bring forth today is about a friend of mine. I don't know if you would necessarily call him still a friend, but it's in regards to not only the lives that we lived together, but on top of that, it's even a little bit about how we were raised and how we got into those situations and kind of how our perspectives were largely similar yet different. So I'm gonna do a little recounting of my story and then I'm going to keep this friend anonymous as best as I can. And when you hear our perspectives, what I want you to understand is that when, when someone has been through traumatic or painful or 
negative things, it's going to change them as a person, hopefully for the better. And for my friend, I hope he still finds his better. I've, I've mentioned him briefly in episodes before, but this is the first time I'm going to talk at length about what those things really mean to me. So today, guys, do you care if we just jump into part one of perspective? When I look back at my last couple years of high school, there were a few people who really stood out to me. They were people of my age, people of my class mostly, and a few people who were a little bit younger. But my graduating class, I really had a really cool group of about maybe half a dozen friends. And there was one guy in particular. I'm, I'm not going to really refer to him as anything specific, but I'll find a nickname for him. And I will just refer to him as that nickname from this point forward. This guy was someone who I, I immediately took a liking to. He was a little quirky, but he was a pretty average guy. He, he seemed to kind of just be like me, but he seemed to have his stuff more together. I, as, as a young guy, I, I was kind of a sloppy teenager, y'all. I, I didn't really give a whole hoot about what people thought of me, and I was very lanky and weird, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm indelibly quirky to this day. But my friend, he kind of fit in just a little bit better with more of the Joneses than I did. And I kind of liked that about him because we were kind of two people that were just outside the neutral space. Like I was to one edge of it, more of like the weird side than he was, but he definitely kind of had his stuff together and had a more socially acceptable presence about him. And as we got to know each other, we were both kind of good kids. I won't even lie. He was already kind of experimenting with smoking pot and drinking a little bit, but I was still very much in like my dare kid phase which is not something I really grew out of until really my like last week of high school. And he was here for not only those moments, but everything before. When you look at how we were raised though, this is really where you see perspective start to take place. And I'm going to do this more from the perspective of our fathers, to which I really had two in my life and to which he really had one. His dad was a pretty well-off guy. He was big into finance in the corporate world. He helped finance cars. Uh, and his mom worked in food service like mine did. And then when you look at my parents, you know, my mom worked in food service. But then also on top of that, you know, I had my stepdad. My stepdad was a semi-retired insurance broker. And before that, he owned delis and was a Marine too. I had great parents. Like, I have great parents. But when I think of my birth father, this is something that I have really reserved talking about on my show or with a lot of people. And it's because I do have very negative feelings connotated with my birth father. If you ever hear this, well, I'm not sorry because my whole life was just something where I didn't know really how you fit into it because I felt like you never really wanted to be there. My dad was as close to a James Gandolfini who played Tony Soprano he was as much of a stunt double as that guy could ever look. He was a guy who moped around a lot and openly referred to himself as a loser in front of me. And when I learned about the experiences he had when he was younger, he was a guy who very much was into hard drugs, not in the same way that I was. I partied, but my biological father was actually an addict as far as I understand it. And he was a guy who got into like way more trouble with the life than I ever did. And so my mom growing up, she tried as hard as she could 
which I do appreciate this if you ever hear this. She tried as hard as she could to keep me away from my dad. Not because I was impressionable, but because my dad really liked to gamble. He dated around with a lot of women. He never really achieved anything, and he spent a lot of weekends at the racetrack. Apparently, he did time whenever he was much younger. He had an awful relationship with his dad, and he never really was in good health, and he never aspired to do anything. He, he, he worked his whole life driving a forklift. I would still inevitably have to go spend time with my dad, pretty much up until the age I was about 14. At that point, I started working part-time jobs, and I kind of found my way out of visitation with him. And it was much to my enjoyment too, because call it daddy issues if you want to. I could see that my dad was someone who was really unhappy and which is a repeating theme in my life. I don't know if he ever really took responsibility for it. I don't know if he really ever accepted responsibility for his unhappiness. As I got older and older, me and this kid, we became very close. And I actually became way more distant from my dad. I I credit him with one thing, and it is this, which is I think he led by an example that showed me what kind of an adult I didn't ever want to be. I didn't want to be unfulfilled. I didn't want to be someone who openly called himself a loser. When I refer back to my early 20s, like the peak of my early 20s, I mentioned that I was like on my way to becoming a professional full-time loser. And what's funny is when you think about where I was at the end of high school, I really had everything going in my direction. I had two years free at my local junior college. I had a pretty good group of friends that, you know, pretty much all had their heads on straight, save for a couple here and there, but you shall remain nameless. I'll keep you anonymous, I promise. I I had good parents. I had a part-time job. But... When you refer back to the time of my story, right when I really stopped seeing my father on the regular, when I graduated high school is really when I got deep into the life. And this is when me and my friend kind of both decided to break bad a little bit. As cliche and corny as that sounds, post Breaking Bad being a thing, it was together we just really started to party. And we were both good kids. While he had a little bit more experience than I did, like, he was kind of one of the guys I looked to to help show me the way, show me how to pace myself when drinking. We learned how to roll blunts and joints together. We learned how to break down weed together, which looking back, like, you know, someone mentioned to me the other day, they're like, dude, why are you so quick at fractions? And I'm like, bro, like, you know, you got 3.5 grams, that's an eighth. And then add times two, that's seven, that's a quarter. And then 14 is a half ounce. And then 28 is an ounce. And then 56 is two. And you know, 112 is <laughs> so on and so forth. It's a quarter pound. It, it, it was one of those things that he and I learned how to do together. And it really did kind of start out as just innocent partying. Post high school, early college partying. And since we didn't go away to big state universities for those first two years, we largely partied here in St. Louis. And we met a lot of people in St. Louis who were a little bit older than us that were getting in a little deeper than we could. And it was probably within a year of us actually just hanging out every day, like getting a quarter or an eighth or something and trying to make it last as much as possible. Eventually, we just decided like, hey, you know, we could like totally just make money doing this. At first, it was just so, quote unquote, we could smoke because that's what every young stupid kid says when they start selling weed. 
It's like, oh, I'm just gonna do enough for me to smoke. I'm a broke college kid. You're freaking dirt. No, you're not, motherfucker. Like, you are going to see how quick and easy it is to make money, and then more than anything, you're gonna look at the other broke college kids around you. You're trying to find the best bud to cut them the best deal. You are trying to impress the people who are in front of you because you don't want to look like your stupid little suburban freaking college kids, even though it's exactly what you are. You're priming up the younger generation beneath you to get started hustling too. It's it's something that's really, really common. Like, I can't believe it because like, I, it's really sad because there's a dude who works at First Form at headquarters. Uh, he's in my department. His name is Damian Figueroa and he was a Wisconsin police officer. I believe it was Madison County. And he goes, Murph, he's got the thickest Wisconsin accent. He goes, oh, Murph, you'd be the guy at the college party in the in the car and with the, with the Jansport backpack. I know you're selling drugs. And full disclosure, motherfucker, he, you know, he's right. That's exactly who we were. Um, me and my friend, you know, we would go to just social events so we could party and make money. And that became our whole lives for like two years. And what's worse is like for at least one of those years, I was still living with my parents and I was doing an awful job hiding what I was doing. My mom would mention, be like, you're coming home smelling like weed every day. I know you're at least smoking something. And I, you know, it, it was, I would be coming home in the middle of the night. I would be getting into more fights with them. I would be having really flashy things for a guy my age, even though like I was working a table, I was working a job, like either busing tables or Jimmy John's or whatever the fuck. And the thing was though, is I had set some standards for myself be they very low bar about what I was willing to and not willing to really get into. For the first couple of years, I was like, hey, if it's a pill, if it's a powder, if it doesn't go up my nose or God forbid anything else than that, like I'm not touching it. And that's all there is to it. I need weed and I need alcohol and a little bit of money. And that's all I care about. My friend was way more adventurous than I was. I remember probably at the end of that first year, he was probably really starting to brush into not even just the psychedelics, because like psychedelics was something that actually I was okay with too. You know, now that I walked that back a little bit, you know, a little bit of mushrooms, a little bit of acid, like those things were fun that first year. And I did them in very small amounts. But my friend, he, he, he had already been into that. He had been into that probably six months before I was. It was about this time he really started getting into Coke and ecstasy and Molly. And very shortly after he would reveal to me, he'd be like, yo, dude, I also tried meth. And I was like, oh, okay, like I, I, I'm going to really draw a line there. As much as I thought as a young kid, I would never put anything up my nose. And when you get to college, you have no fucking clue just how common it is. There were things that to this day, I will never, ever, ever, ever consider experimenting with. They are meth. They are heroin. Um, they are fentanyl crack like and for those of you who think crack and coke are the exact same thing no they're not cocaine is inhaled up your nose it's, it's snorted crack is free-based it's it's smoked and it's it's not just cocaine like a lot of people don't understand the distinction that's okay i'm more of a degenerate than you are but i at least know my shit my friend was really getting in deep into some stuff that i was just kind of like dude like you know we were having fun a year ago but like, what the fuck is going on? And the more and more we partied together and the more and more we hustled together, even when I went away to Springfield and he stayed in St. Louis, the more that my friends around me would report that, like, the deeper he got into drugs, the more he would, like, let things out. And some of the things that he let out is just how poorly his dad had actually treated his mom. 
And when I had met his dad all the times I did, he seemed like a salt of the earth guy. He seemed like a really sweet guy. Now, again, I also seemed like a good kid to a lot of people, yet I was running around all the time with money and drugs and getting into fights and stealing from people and so on and so forth. So first impressions, almost all impressions sometimes can be very, very deceiving when you're talking about certain people. And he had told me that all these horrible things that his dad had done to his mom and even by result him, they had stayed with him all of these years. He, he told me stories back about when he was a kid, he would actually inflict self-harm as a means of just like testing himself. And what's even more sad than that is that throughout my entire friendship with him, as formal as it was, my parents would tell me all the time, you shouldn't hang out with him. They're, we think there's something wrong with him. There's just something not right there. That's my best mom impression. If you ever hear that, I'm sorry too. But all the same, we spent so much time together and I was very, very loyal to him to this day. I still am in terms of like keeping him anonymous and not really trying to be smudge his name because make no mistake, none of this is to be smudge him. It's to talk about where I ended up and where I last heard he ended up. But we're getting to that. About three years post high school is my first year at Springfield. It was really around here where I, I really started partying really hard. Almost every time that I was in St. Louis, which was more and more frequent, even though I lived in Springfield, the fact was is that like this guy, we would often help each other out in terms of hustling. There'd be times where I would buy from him and there'd be times where he would buy from me. There'd be times where we would buy from the same people and we were all about making money together. And while he got harder and harder into these drugs, there were certain things that I was really okay with trying and doing and things that I said that I never would do. I remember there was a point in this story where I said, hey, I don't want to put anything up my nose. I don't want to party with anything that's not this select group of stuff right here. But the fact was, is like I was partying with it on the regular, like pretty much between like 2013 and 2016, the earlier part of 2016. You know, Coke had become a very average thing. I, you know, I walked into Easter breakfast one year tripping my fucking balls off. And that being the case, you know, there were certain things that my parents knew that I had experimented with, like shrooms and like acid and, you know, like Molly. But the Coke thing was something that I never really wanted to tell my parents because it was one of the main weapons of choice for my dad. And what's worse is that, like, my friend had not only begun to get really deep into just harder drugs, but he really got deep into dark concepts. He started looking into like Satanism, Levian Satanism, which was kind of this idea as far back as I remember him explaining it, or at least his interpretation of it is he was the God of his own existence. And it's like that subjective deity quality is very, very dangerous. And I know it because I kind of started buying into it too. We wanted to be it. We wanted to be them guys. But I wanted to do it in a superficial, materialistic, rapper kind of way. It was about the time, honestly, I started really drinking Hennessy and wearing Tim's too. Some habits just won't die. Don't ask. <laughs> but as far as him, he started getting really dark with the music he listened to and the, even some of his tattoo ideas. And it's really when he started buying into the criminal lifestyle, to which... I can't lie, I kind of did too. It's when we started hanging out around the city more, which if you're from St. Louis, there is this kind of weird pride about being from one of the most dangerous cities in the United States. Yeah, we're not as big as Chicago or New York or places like that or even Los Angeles, but per capita, this place is very, very dangerous. 
and it is very violent. And there is a certain weird urban pride about that that even even the the, the suburban kids have. This was about the time we also started robbing people. And by robbing people, I don't mean we held them up with guns. Like this is not an admission of that happening because that's not what we did. But by hitting licks and taking people for their stuff and posing, like posing robberies and things like that. This is when we started really getting to the point of like where, hey, if we're going to be about this, we better put some credit on our names. Otherwise, people are going to start thinking like we're easy pickings because we had gotten taken a couple times. So there were a couple guys who plugged us up who we, you know, we knew that they had played with our money a time or two. And we were like, cool, we're not going to stand for it. And we took from them. Uh, there was a guy who did me wrong really, really early on in my game. And we did him wrong. You know, it's it, two wrongs don't make a right. And I'm admitting these things for the first time publicly because, I mean, it's my past. Like, I'm, I'm over it. I don't care. I don't take any glory out of it. But he really got off on it. He didn't just care about the fact that we were making money. Like, the things that I did were to pay my bills and to make sure that I could stay really, really liquid in the game and to take out people who we thought posed a, tr a threat to us. And, and in terms of what he wanted, though, he just wanted to keep feeding this, this godly version of himself. And it was about the time that he told me that he was regularly doing like 10 strips of acid and really just like diabolical shit while he did it. I knew that I was losing him. And it sucked because the perspective of this episode is that, you know, not only was I losing him, but like he was losing himself. And the part of me that I was losing at that point was my ability to say no, my ability to use common sense. And when I thought about what I had really wanted to achieve at this point, I think the saddest thing that I can share with you guys is that I was trying to outdo my dad with my best friend. For those of you who don't know, like I call my stepfather, whose name is Bob, I call him dad. That is my father. Like that is my father. That man raised me. That man taught me how to be a man. That man with all of his experience taught me how to throw a football, which I'm not any good at, but all the same, he, he took me to and from like my after school clubs when I was like in middle school. And he, he was a good, good human being. And he treated my mom, right. He treats my mom right to this day. My biological father, I, I just, I've always called him a substitute parent. And it sucks because when he really started coming clean about what he did when he was well, pretty much close to my age at that point, I had always said my whole life, I'm not going to be like him. I'm not going to be him. There's a life for me. You know, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not make those mistakes. I'm not going to do that shit. And I'm not going to be him. And don't get me wrong. I am not him. And I never was and I never will be. But the fact of the matter is this, y'all, is that like I was becoming my own brand of him. He, he had told me, my dad had told me, like my biological had told me, he's like, I never liked weed. Fuck me up too much. I'm like, but you did meth and crack and you were selling those things. He goes, yeah, you know, just help me stay up and do more work. I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine, I guess. He experimented with things I could never experiment with. And it does suck because as much as I do credit my pops with being my actual father, I have way more qualities of my biological dad than I care to admit. I'm very impatient. I very much have an Italian person's temper, stereotypical as that may sound. Um, you know, I've gone through my own bouts of substance abuse and alcohol abuse. I'm way better now. Like I have my, I have my things I like to do in recreation, like weed and drink every now and again. Like I obviously I love Hennessy, but 
I largely, you know, put down hard drugs and I don't do that kind of life anymore. I don't hustle. And it's just the little things about how even when I get mad, really, I do see me. And when I when I make excuses for anything, I hear him. And when I think about just some of the, the, the things that are little nuances to me about who I am and the ways that reflect him, it does bother me. As I know, it really did hurt my friend in terms of how he was a reflection of his dad. Because for all of his faults and for all of the things he was doing to fuck up his life, the really one notable thing I can say about him is that he did love his mom like I loved mine. Our moms were special to us. His grandma was really special to him too. Mine, eh. I have a lot of feelings about my grandma too. That will come at another date. But as far as it had been throughout our entire friendship together, which was probably going on about five, six years strong at this point, he did love his mom a whole lot. And I bet as cognizant as he may be, which I don't know the parameters, I only heard things. I would imagine that's still very much true. As we kind of start to close down where this perspective episode is heading, I really got to bring us to about 2015, 2016, which which around this time, I, I mean, I was full time just hustling, y'all. Like I was in college, I was in my fraternity, I was kicking it, I was having a good time. But to tell you the truth, I was making way more money and doing way more drugs than me five years before ever thought was possible. And to tell you the truth, like we were both really getting eaten alive by the lifestyle. I was partying probably five nights a week. I was on call, like what felt like 24 hours a day to go hustle. I was barely going to school and still getting like a C average, which to me, I still find very, very impressive. And he was just hustling full time. Um, He had honestly got caught more times than I can count. And the ways that he was going about, quote, being a gangster were not gangster. There are certain codes that like once you get close to them, like you got to stop living the life. Otherwise, you're either going to end up in prison or dead. And, you know, he was getting really, 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 really close. And he was even doing some things that I wasn't even aware of. And likewise, I was involved in things that he wasn't aware of. But mine were things that we had experience with. It was about the time he told me that he was starting to get jumped in by gangs and getting his ass beat on purpose, I was just like, dude, what is going on in your head? But again, the perspective being, I was still following his lead on a lot of things. I was still telling him, having him tell me, you know, what the way was, how to make the next dollar. And by this point, we were hustling way harder than we ever thought it would. It wasn't partying anymore. It was a full-time job and it was a lifestyle. And It was finally, it was Black Friday, refer back to episode two about my last arrest. It was Black Friday of 2016 when I actually got caught and I got caught right as I left his house. And it was so horrifying because I was already in trouble with the law once, like a very small amount. He had been getting caught and getting caught and getting caught and getting caught. So I wasn't about to tell the police anything about him. Not only because like, yeah, I was fucking loyal but at the same time i also knew that and i've been in that position and he was becoming as unstable as he was i knew that my best friend would have probably tried to do away with me and when i saw him two days later you know i had been in jail for a whole night i was the most depressed i'd ever been at my parents house It, it was it was literally the lowest i had ever been again they took my shoelaces for a reason 
I went and saw him when I was about to depart back to Springfield. And I was like, dude, you know, I lost a few grand. Like this was the last of my emergency money. I was trying to make money to do a lot of things, man. And like, bro, I don't have a job and I need you to help me. And he sat there telling me like, I can't help you. And I'm like, bro, what the fuck? Like I, I kept your name out of my mouth. I need help. And he was just like, I got nothing. I'm like, so for all the shit that we've been through, like you can't help me out right now. You can't give me a few bucks just to keep my rent paid and to keep me fed. <laughs> and his response is he gave me more drugs. He goes, go sell this. And I was like, dude, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this anymore. And he goes, all right, cool. But here, and then he gave me like a couple hundred bucks. He's like, this is really all I got. And I was like, well, thanks. I appreciate it. He goes, good. Because if you didn't, I'd walk up on your parents' house with a shotgun. When we're angry, when we're scared, when we're sad, when we're messed up, we'll say a lot of things from an emotional place that we don't mean. And while I don't think he actually would have done such a thing, he was willing to go there and say that. To which I called him on it immediately and I said, I appreciate you helping me out. Never mention my fucking parents again. Even after all that, even after he helped me, I knew that that was kind of like the last straw for our friendship because he was just getting deeper and deeper and he kept getting in trouble. He had, he had racked up like three felony possessions, two DWIs, a week in jail. Like he was constantly just getting in deeper and deeper shit. There was a point in time where, you know, our spot got raided really early on. We didn't have anything there, thank God. But like, you know, there were a lot of times where some of those things you, you, you are so bewildered to hear happening in real life as a young kid. You don't know how close you are to having them happen to you. And then they do happen. So you have a choice. You can either stay in the life and wind up dead or in prison, both. Or you can get out of the life and build a life. You can admit that it's all behind you. You can admit that there is more for you to embark on. In terms of where I see this story going, when I look at me and I look at him, and when I look at our dads, especially, if you were to ask me how this thing ended up, I would say that, I would say that me and his dad, for apparently all the horrible things he did, to which I don't really know the credits of, but he made them sound pretty vicious. I'd say that me and his dad took the lives that we lived and we moved forward. We became contributing members of society. I went the straight route as soon as I got back. I started talking to lawyers. I started getting into jobs. I started going back to school and actually like attending classes. But him, he kept getting deeper and deeper into the life. And my friends that were still in St. Louis, the few that I would still associate with, they would tell me just how dark the path was getting for him even after I was gone. And so when I look at how he went, it seems to be how my dad went. My dad ended up doing time. I don't know how much. I don't know how old he was. He ended up having me in his late 30s. My mom was in her early 30s. She was 32. And I'm not exactly sure where the life ended for my dad and when he started working the forklift job that he worked for the rest of his life. I really don't know those things, and I don't know what's going to happen to my friend. But what I do know is that probably about six months after I got in trouble, maybe a year later, my friend had called me. He sounded horrible. 
He sounded disheveled. He sounded hoarse, like, like he hadn't drank water in years. And the last thing I had heard is that he had been doing a shit ton of ketamine and, you know, coke multiple times a day that he couldn't function without cocaine anymore. And still regularly doing like heroic doses of mushrooms and 10 strips of acid. And me, you know, I was working. I was going to school. I was still smoking weed and drinking. <laughs> yes, even on probation. And the thing was, is that like legitimately one day he called me and he's like, hey, man, what are you doing this weekend? I'm like, you know, work, go downtown for a little bit after, you know, nothing too crazy. He's like, oh, man, do you care if I come down with some work? And I was like, yeah, I mind. And I was so quick to tell him that I minded. And he was like, dude, what do you mean? I'm like, what do you think I mean? He goes, dude, I know you're paying off those lawyers. You know, you got school. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm working. I wasn't just working like the dishwashing job that I worked. Like on top of that, I was also working at like a little nursery. I worked the nursery from like 8 a.m. to like 4 p.m. And then I'd wash dishes pretty much from like 6 p.m. till midnight. I was busting my fucking ass. And... He kept trying to come up with a bunch of different things. Well, he's like, what if I just don't bring it around to you? And I was like, no. He's like, well, what if I sell some or, you know, have a little bit on me and I stay with you? And I'm like, no. Like, bro, no, it's just not happening. And he seemed almost offended. And then one day he even asked me, he's like, bro, how do I get my life together? Like, you, you, you seem like you've figured it out. But he's like, I don't, I don't know how to do it. He's like, bro, you got to find something that you want. I don't want that life anymore. I had become someone that I never thought that I would be. I was, I was looking up to people who I never thought I'd look up to. I only have myself to blame, but dude, you got to find a lane. You got to stay in it and it's going to suck and it's going to hurt. But like, bro, you, you got to be your biggest fan too. Cause I mean, bro, I know you're asking me for help, but I don't think you really want to change. And to my credit, I was right. The last time we hung out was the last time we hung out was probably about 2017. I think the last time we talked was February, 2017. He had <laughs> been hustling weed still, I guess. I don't know. And he fronted a friend of mine who is actually a real gangster, like an actual motherfucking gangster. And they did this without really any input from me. But he fronted my friend a couple ounces of bud, preaching all this real gangster shit about the stuff he had been doing, talking about sets and different gangs and things like that. But my friend is actually hip and my friend has actually been through that life. Well, he decided to test my initial friends. Friend two decided to test friend one's merits. The weed that my friend of the point of the story had fronted him, my second friend took and never gave back, never answered. Well, my second friend has kids. The first guy comes back to me and he's like, hey, where's he live? I'm like, excuse me? He's like, where's he live? I'm like, I don't know. Which, did I know? Yeah. Was I going to tell him? No. The fuck do you mean? No. God, fuck no. I'm like, why? He goes, well, dude, he, he owes me like 400 bucks. And like, I, I, you know, I know where he's at. And like, you know, his family. And I was like, bro, I'm not telling you where that man lives or where his kid lives. Number one, I don't know the address. And number two, no. And... He saw it as a betrayal. Look, whatever you want to say about my loyalty, you go ahead and say. But my actual gangster friend, much like me, had fixed his life. Got away from hard drugs. Got away from the life. A bunch of his friends were also in prison and dead. 
He was raising a family, a really beautiful family. I was super proud of him. No matter how loyal I was to my first friend, the biggest subject of this story, my perspective had changed from, you know, I'll be loyal to you no matter what to, well, are you really loyal to me? And am I loyal enough to you to put some dude and his family in harm's way because you want to prove something over 400 bucks? As I start to really, really finish this off with some words, y'all. Once I moved back to St. Louis, I ran into an acquaintance of me and my friend. I had heard all kinds of crazy shit at this point that, you know, he was basically in a coma. Like he's alive, but he's like in a stupefied coma of what you would call life. Literally support with nothing but like drugs and I guess whatever little bit of sustenance he gets. And when I hear these things and about some of the shit he's tried to pull since, I mean, dude, if you ever hear this, I hope you know I'm not trying to rag you down. I'm not trying to talk poorly of you. In the first episode where I even mentioned your existence, one of the first two episodes I have, you know, I I said I hope you're doing well and I do. You reached out to a friend of ours recently and I hope it was genuine. I really do. I want you to find yourself again. I want you to see past the facade of the life, the matrix of what that is. Like, bro, put down the drugs. Stop hustling. Stop partying. Stop trying to out-shit bag yourself. You openly, we openly joked about being pieces of shit for like three, four years. And like, dude, when it really became evident that that's where we were becoming, I decided to move away from it. I'm happier than I've ever been in most cases. Yeah, I got some problems going on. But bro, I want you to live to see your 30s. I want you to find someone who's good for you. I want you to get healthy and I want you to have a bounce back like I did. And I wish going back, I wish I would have told you a lot of things that I didn't hear until I was much later in life. I wish there would have been times where we actually would have fought and I would have punched you like how I told you I was going to for acting a fool. And if we do meet again, which something tells me we will, because that's just the nature of people in my life. If we do meet again, I hope it's on friendly terms. Because even though you think I had something to do with your money getting taken, after everything we've been through, do you really think that $400 was something that I would get any kind of benefit from seeing you lose? Really? Look at the people in your life. Look at look at where you come from and look at where they come from. And think about situations that you didn't foresee ending up the way that they would. When you think about those perspectives, when you think about what it is someone starts out as and who they end up becoming, the healthy dose of perspective that comes with this episode is just that, folks, you don't you don't really know where your life is going. And it can go anywhere. Hell, it can even turn out bad when you make all the right moves, but I encourage you to make as many right moves as you can. As I say time and time again, time is our most precious resource. We only get so much of it, and we never really know how much we ultimately get. All we know is how much we have essentially spent. I don't know if my friend picked up on that yet, but homie, if you do, I'm here for you. I'll help you. But until next time, y'all, until tomorrow, I'm out.